Well, fearless. What comes to mind when you think about that word? You know, what comes to my mind when I hear that word is like an extreme sportsman, maybe someone like an extreme snowboarder who is about to jump off a cliff. But you know, when you think about, you know, extreme sports people, they have this air of being fearless. And yet it's interesting, isn't it? I recently watched a documentary called Fearless. And while these people do these great events or great things that seem to take a lot of courage, what is motivating them deep down is still seems to be fear, fear of being bored. And so they have to go and do these more extreme things in order to overcome that fear of living a boring life. Now, it's easy to say that we have no fear. And yet oftentimes, when we look down deep into our hearts, we are still ruled by fear. And fear is not a bad emotion, like uh, fear is a natural emotion that we experience that uh, helps us uh, to, you know, act when we need to act. A few years ago, one of my kids was uh, walking across the road, and I was filled with fear, and I immediately grabbed them and protected them and saved them from being run over. And so fear in itself is not necessarily a bad thing, but obviously when you're ruled by fear, when you walk by fear and not by faith, that is when it can become bad. So how do we overcome fear? How do we live a fearless life? Well, that's what we're looking at this morning as we continue our study in the School of Faith. We are, well, I've called it the School of Faith because we are in that part of the book of Genesis, in Genesis 12 to 22, that chronicles the story of Abram. And Abram, or Abraham as he is known, is uh, known as the man of faith. And faith is what the Christian life is all about. We begin by faith, by trusting in Jesus and what he's done for us. And then we continue every day as Christians by, by trusting God in the small things and also in the more difficult things that we experience. And what we're doing over these next eight weeks is we're doing eight lessons that will help you develop a faith that really makes a difference. Because oftentimes there can be a discrepancy between what we know and how we live. And so we're looking at how we can, we can live out our faith on a day-to-day -day basis. And in the first lesson, we looked at what it meant to walk by faith. We saw that walking by faith is living not by what you see with your eyes or what you feel with your emotions, but it's living by what God has said in his word. And then last week in our second lesson, we looked at growing through trials. We all experience trials. We all go through trials. And trials don't necessarily deepen or grow our faith. We only deepen and grow our faith in trials as we respond to trials by trusting in God's promises not by leaning on our own wisdom. And today we've come to our third lesson, overcoming fear, overcoming fear. And we're in Genesis chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, open them up this morning to Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse one, the chapter begins this way. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. Now that phrase right at the beginning of this verse, after these things, it really sets the context for Genesis 15. Genesis 15 occurs after the events in Genesis 14. So what happened in Genesis 14? Well, in Genesis 14, Abram's nephew Lot had been carried into captivity by King Chedorlaomer. And Abram, when he heard it, he got his 318 fighting men together and he went after Lot. And he defeated King Chedorlaomer, and he bought back Lot and all of his possessions. 
But now in chapter 15, we see it's nighttime, as we're going to learn later. It's nighttime, and Abram at night is now gripped with fear. I think what has happened is Abram has come face to face with his own mortality. After being through that great war, he realized how easily life can end, how it can be over in a moment, and he is gripped by fear. But what we see in this verse is we see God comes to him and speaks to him, and God gives him the key to overcoming fear. And here it is. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Here's the key thought for today in overcoming fear. Fear is overcome by learning to trust that God will protect you. Fear is overcome in our lives by learning to trust that God is our shield. Remember, Abram had just been in a war, and God said to Abram, I am your shield. I am the one who will stand between you and the enemy. I am the one who will keep you from harm. And we learn to overcome fear by trusting that we are in the hand of God, and since we're in the hand of God, nothing can pluck us out. That's the way you overcome fear, by learning to trust that God will protect you. But how do you learn to trust like that? How do you learn to trust that God is actually your shield? Well, in this chapter, it's a very interesting chapter, we see this interplay between Abram and the Lord. In verse 1, the Lord speaks. In verses 2 to 3, Abram asks God a question. In verses 4 to 7, we see the Lord speaks again. In verse 8, Abram asks another question. And then in verses 9 to 21, the Lord speaks again. And it's like Abram is having a conversation with God. It's like he is a friend of God. You know, it's interesting. If you go to the Middle East today, they use a particular phrase in Arabic to describe Abram, and it, it, and it literally is translated friend of God. He was someone who talked with God and dialogued with God. And what we're going to see by the end of the chapter is that by the end of the chapter, Abram has new confidence because he's learnt to trust that God is his shield. And I'm hoping that by the end of our time in studying this chapter today, that some people here today who are ruled by fear will have started on the journey, on the journey of learning to trust that God really will protect them, that God is their shield. So let's have a look at the conversation that Abram had with God. In verse 1, the Lord comes to him and says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram has this question for God. In verse 2, we read this. But Abram said, O Lord God. Now, this is a very, very reverent expression in Hebrew. It's Adonai Elohim. O God, my master. O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. I know, God, you've just said that my reward is going to be very great. And I know you said in chapter 12 that you're going to make me into a great nation. And I know you said in chapter 13 that my descendants are going to be more numerous than the dust of the ground. But Sarah doesn't have any children. And behold, you have given me no offspring, Lord, and a member of my household will be my heir. You see, I think we see this. The first principle for learning to trust God is that it is okay to bring our doubts, fears, and questions to God. Abram says to God, you've said, God, that you are going to be, that my reward is going to be very great, but God, my wife Sarai is barren, 
And Eliezer looks like he is going to be my heir. I, I'm just not seeing it. You know, maybe if you're struggling with fear and with doubt and you've got questions today, I want you to know that it's okay to go to God with your fear and your doubt and your questions. God is big enough. God is big enough to handle your doubts. He's big enough to handle your questions. He's big enough to handle your fears. And I, this is really important because honesty fosters intimacy. Honesty fosters intimacy. You know, with Tegan and I, when we're having a bit of an argument and, uh, and uh, you know, Tegan's giving me the silent treatment, I can't stand that. Who's with me, guys? Who can't stand the silent treatment, you know? Just can't stand the silent treatment. You turn to your wife and you go, what's up? And she's like, nothing, nothing. And you, whenever you get that, don't take that literally. There is something up, all right? And so, and, and you know, it's like there is a wall between us. There is a wall between us when that's going on. But as soon as she starts, as, as she opens up, and as soon as she shares with me what's really going on in her heart, even though it's often something I don't want to hear because it's usually something that I've done wrong, and usually I have done something wrong, even though it's something I don't want to hear, it really breaks down the walls and, and there is the intimacy in our, in our relationship returns. Do you know, I've found with God, the same is actually true. You know, one time I was really struggling to trust God and believe in God, and I came to God, and this is the interesting thing, I came to him and I said, God, I'm even struggling to believe that you even exist right now. And actually by verbalizing that, it was actually so interesting how God's presence just seemed to flood the room. You see, it's okay to be honest with God because honesty actually enables intimacy and it gives God the opportunity to answer our questions. And God answers Abram's question. We read this in verse four. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Eliezer of Damascus shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. God is making it very clear. He's going to come from you, Abram. And he brought him outside and he said, look towards the heavens and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, God could have easily said to Abram, look at the, the sand in the desert. Your, your offspring are going to be as numerous as the sand in the desert. Or he could have said, look at the blades of grass of the field. Your offspring are going to be as numerous as the blades of the grass of the field. But why did God bring him outside? It was nighttime, see that? It was nighttime. Why did he bring him outside and say, look up into the heavens? Well, I don't know about for you, but for me, every time I've gone outside on a clear night, and I've looked up into the heavens, and I've looked and seen the vastness of space, I am humbled by the absolute majesty and greatness of God. And so I think this is what the Lord is saying to Abram, look up and see my character, see the one who is making this promise to you. And we read in the next verse, verse six, and he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is one of the most significant verses in the Bible because this is, tells us what is right at the core of the Christian faith. You see, right at the core of the Christian faith is that you are made right with God by your works, by what you do, by religious rituals. You are made right with God simply by believing in his promises. Now, one of our church family recently um, shared a story with 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 me that really illustrated this. So I want to invite them up to share that story. Let's welcome up Michelle Hollis. Let's give her a warm welcome as she comes up. 
to share with us this morning. Welcome, Michelle. Lovely, Michelle. Thank you. Are you nervous? You know I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about where you've been recently. Um, yeah, I just recently got back from Vietnam. I was over there for just over two weeks. Yeah. And tell us what happened while you were over there. Um, yeah, so I just went there just purely for a holiday. And um, so I went on a couple of tours and every tour that I went on involved going to visit like a pagoda, um, to the temple area. And um, yeah, keep going. Okay, yep. I'll keep going. Yep. Last time he interrupted me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, yeah, I had to go on these tours and went through the pagoda and I noticed like the tourists would go on one side and then the local Vietnamese people would enter the temple on the left side. So that was all part of the ritual as well that they went on the left. And um, I just noticed that they would go in and there was sort of like a bit of a sequence where they would go in and pray first and then at the end of praying, they'd put their hands together and then bow their head, probably look look like about 10 times and then they'd put their money in the offering and then then they'd walk out. So I was a bit fascinated that everyone sort of like was doing the same uh, ritual. And then, um, then what happened was... Towards the end of my trip, I got connected with a, a girl that lives over there, a Vietnamese girl that lives over there and um, in a place called Hanoi. And she took the day off work um, to take me around and, and show me her city. And um, she said, I'll take you wherever you want to go, but do you think I'll, I'll take you to the, uh, the temple first up? It's the biggest one in, in Hanoi. And I said, sure. Um, yeah. By this time, I've probably seen about three or four so. I was excited for her. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we, um, so we went there and, and she went into the temple and I thought, oh, I'm just going to wait outside and just watch on. And, and I saw that she did the same yeah. sort of thing. She went in and um, gave her money and did her prayer and everything. Then she came back out. And I felt comfortable enough um, I just um, with her because I already spent a bit of time with her. And I said, um, I don't want to be rude, but I don't understand like what you're why you're doing it and, and everything. So she just said, oh, well, um, I believe in Buddha and um, by me going to the temple and, and praying to him and giving my offering to him, um, that gives me like pretty much like good luck, good health, good wealth, everything like that. And, um, but if I don't do it, um, I could get like a curse put upon me, like I could get sick, I could lose my money, bad things could happen to me. Yeah. So it really, um, I thought, my goodness, she's doing this really out of fear um, and it was, yeah, it wasn't like a, a personal thing. And, um, and then she just, um, I can't remember how the conversation exactly went, but she said, what, what do you believe or what do you do? And, and I said, well, and I tried to do it um, without complicating it because I didn't know how much she knew about the Christian faith. So I just said, well, I'm, I'm a Christian and I believe there's just one God. And so she was like pretty keen and we were just walking along. And she said, um, I said, no, I, I just, and I believe that... Um, God, um, he had a son and his son died for me and I, I just believe that and I accept that um, he paid the price for my sin and, and, and that's what I put my trust in. And she said, oh, okay. And so she just wanted to clarify with me. So she said, oh, so there's just one God. I said, yep, one God. And she goes, and all you need to do is believe. I said, yep, just need to believe and accept Jesus into my heart. And um, she just stopped and she looked at me and she said, that is so simple. And... To me, that just really impacted me because, um, you know, having watched on at yeah. what they need to do to, um, in, like I said, it's all in fear, like um, to make themselves right. And here I was telling her, all oh, you, you have to do is just believe that Jesus died for you. And it's as simple as that. And 
um, yeah, it was just, you hear it in sermons, but to actually see what they do and then for her to say to me, gee, that's simple, I thought, yeah, it is simple. <laughs> and, um, and the biggest thing as well was I was thinking, it's out of, um, you know, what I make myself, well, Jesus makes me right with the law, uh, with God, but, um, but I want to live my life and worship um, the Lord because of, out of just love and gratitude for what he's done for me and it's not out of the fear of what's going to happen if I don't do that. So, yeah. yeah. Amen. Isn't that great? Let's think. Wow. It's that simple and we forget that we are not justified by works but justified by faith, by trusting in God's promises. Now, Abram, at this point, He's believed, and God has accredited it to him as righteousness. He is now right in God's eyes. Now, he's still going to be a morally flawed individual as we go forward. We're going to still see that he makes mistakes. And it's interesting, he's still learning to trust in God. God comes to him in the next verse and says this to him. He says in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Now, earlier in Genesis chapter 12, God had said to Abram, I am going to make you into a great nation. And in order to be a great nation, Abram needed two things. The first thing that Abram needed is he needed offspring. And remember, Sarai was barren. He also needed land. If you're going to have a great nation, you need people and you need a place to put those people. But as he went through the land of Canaan, the land of Canaan was occupied by the Canaanites. And so Abram is still learning to trust God. And so he responds to God. Look in verse 8 and he says, Oh Lord God, how do I know that I will possess it? Abram is just like you and me. What anchor can I have that will actually ground this, will ground me? What, what assurance do I have to know that this is actually going to occur? And I was listening to a speaker and he was saying, that he had a couple of boys and he used to take them out fishing on Lake Erie in the United States. Lake Erie is this large lake. It's so large that if you go out in the middle of the lake, it's like you're in the middle of the ocean. You can't see the, the, the shore at all. And he would say that oftentimes what would happen is if you're, when you're fishing out in the middle of the lake is that uh, the, the wind would blow you around and you would you would lose your sense of direction, and then you might actually end up heading into land, and you might end up in Canada rather than returning to the United States. And he said, the one thing that will keep you grounded in the midst of all the wind is if you set down an anchor, if your anchor goes down and it grips the ground. I wonder, I wonder, my friends, what is the anchor for your life? What is the thing that you are grounding your life in? How do you know? How can you be confident and know that God is going to keep his promises to you? You see, what, most, what I've seen is that most people anchor their life in their own ability to keep on believing. They think that they, that they will receive the promises of God because of their own faith, because of their own believing. And so they anchor their life upon their own ability to believe. But I want to tell you that if that's you, you're actually putting your anchor down into the sand and your life will be turned around by the wind of life. There is another place to put your anchor. And see, Abram comes to God and he says, God, how can I know? And look at what the Lord says to him in the next verse. The Lord says to him, verse nine, bring to me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he bought him all of these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. 
Now, what is going on here? Abram says, how can I know, Lord? And God says, well, here's how you can know. Bring me a heifer, bring me a ram, bring me a goat, bring me some birds. And all of a sudden, Abram knows what's going on. He says, okay, I'll bring you those things. And he brings him those things, and he cuts them in half and separates them in front of him. What's going on here? Well, what the Lord is saying to Abram is he's saying, I've given you promises, but now I'm going to seal these promises with a covenant. I'm going to solemnize these promises. Now, we do the same thing. If you've ever got married, when you got married, you made certain promises. You stood in front of a minister and you made some pretty lofty promises. You said, I'm going to have and I'm going to hold this person from this day forth until death do us part. In richer and poorer, in sickness and in health. Now, I'm certain when most of us made those promises, we only heard this. I'm going to, we're going to have and to hold in, you know, in, in richer and riches and in health and more health. <laughs> we actually bank on the other side of life. But we make these promises. But what if you were to say, how, O oh sovereign spouse, do I know that you are going to keep your word? How you've made these great promises. How do I know, sovereign spouse, that you are going to keep your promise to me? Well, what we do in our culture is we solemnize those promises, and the way we do it is through putting our signature to the agreement. While one of our friends is warbling away playing special music, we move up the back of the church, we grab a pen, and we sign a register, and then there becomes legal implications for us if we don't keep our promises. The same, now this is what was happening right here, is with the Lord and with Abram. It's actually a much, much stronger way to cut a covenant, I reckon. Our wimpy way of just picking up a pen and signing is nothing in comparison to what God and Abram was doing. You see, what it basically was saying is as they broke those animals apart, what, would you, what you would do in order to in order to solemnize your agreement, is both parties would walk through the middle of those animals. And, it, and you are basically saying, when you walk through the middle of those animals, is that this should happen to me, I should be broken in, in two, if I fail to keep my promise. This is what will happen to me. I will be broken apart if I fail to keep my promise. This is the consequences for failing to keep my promise. Now, something really remarkable happens at this point. This is so amazing. In verse 12, we read this. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now, this wasn't just any sleep. Abram was going to hear from the voice of the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So God is revealing to Abram what's going to happen to his um, offspring, the, the nation of Israel. They're going to head down to Egypt. They're going to be there for 400 years as, as slaves. But the Lord says, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they will come out with great possessions. And it happened exactly as the Lord said. 400 years later, Israel came out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God, and the Egyptians gave the Israelites gold and silver. And then the Lord said to Abram, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. Now, for someone who is struggling with fear, with the fear that their life might be over, this would be a great encouragement, right? In fact, Abram was about 85 at this time, and he would live to 175. And so this was a great encouragement to Abram. But this was not the most remarkable thing that happened that day. 
The most remarkable thing that happened that day happened next in verse 17. Look at this. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking pot and a flaming torch passed through the pieces. Wow. Now, in Hebrew, it's very hard to, to interpret these expressions, a smoking pot and a flaming torch. But these two words, smoke and flame, these, these two words are used later in the book of Exodus to describe the presence of God that came down on Mount Sinai, that God's presence came down with smoke and with fire. They are also used to describe the pillar that would guide the people of Israel through the wilderness. God's pillar, his presence guided them with a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. So this is a theophany. This is a, a physical manifestation of the eternal God. God is coming down. This is, this is phenomenal. The immutable God, the immutable God, the never-changing God is saying, if I break my word, I will be mutated. The, the God who is all-powerful says, if I break my word, let me become powerless. The God who possesses all life is saying that if I break my word, Abram, I will die. I will be ripped apart. You know, there are two problems with learning to trust God. The first problem is how can we know that God is going to keep his word? Well, God here for Abram, he came down and he entered into a covenant with Abram and said, let me be cursed if I don't keep my word. But do you want, do you want to know something? The far greater problem that I have in living a confident life is how do I know that I am going to keep my promises? I don't know about you, but I want to tell you I'm weak. My faith goes up and down. Carl asked me on Facebook Live this week, he said, how come, Timon, you have so much passion for Jesus and I answered it in a way, and I'm, and I'm so sorry for my answer because it made it sound like I, I am able to drum up this passion for Jesus in and of myself, and it's not true. I'm actually quite weak. I'm, I'm, like a, I'm like a lot of us, very, very weak. But here's the thing about, this is the amazing grace of this verse. Don't miss it. It's not God and Abram who walk through and make a covenant. It's who? It's God alone who walks through. In other words, God is saying, not only will I be cursed, Abram, if I fail to keep my word, but the curse will fall on me if you fail to keep your word as well. This is the gospel, my friends. Because 2,000 years later, what would happen is in sheer and utter darkness, Jesus would come. And he wasn't just a theophany, but he was the incarnation of the living God and he would come down and he would be crushed and he would be cut off for you and for me. You see, where do you anchor your faith? Most people anchor their faith in their ability to keep on believing. They look to themselves. But if you anchor your faith there, it will just be like putting your anchor into sand. You need to put your anchor all the way down into the rock of Jesus Christ. You must anchor your faith into the faithfulness of God, that God has made to you unconditional promises. And you don't look to yourself, 
but you look to the author and perfecter of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the people who really grow in faith are people who don't, are proud people, who don't stand up and say, I'm going to walk by faith, but they are actually the opposite of that. Do you realize what the gospel is? If you, if, you are, if you are here this morning and you think that you see, you probably don't. But if you are here this morning and you say, I think I'm blind, Lord, help open my eyes, then maybe you're coming to faith. If you're here today and you're so proud of the, of the way that you're walking by faith, then maybe you aren't. But if you here, are here today and say, I can't, God, I can't, God, I need you, God, then maybe you are starting to walk by faith. You see, look at this, look at this um, song that you sang today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. You sang that. Do, do most of you understand what the word frame means? You know what that word means? It's not a picture frame. What it actually means is we won't trust in ourselves and our own own confidence, but we wholly trust in the rock. We let our anchor go all the way down and anchor into Christ. So if you are struggling with fear today, you must anchor your faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Anchor your faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. How do you live a confident Christian life? How do you know that you will receive God's promises? It's not by looking to yourself and your own faith. It's by looking to the author of your faith, the Lord Jesus. So let me give you two principles for today to overcoming faith. Here's the first one. Be honest with God. Be honest with God. If you are struggling with fear and you have questions and you have doubts, bring them to God. Bring them to God and be honest with him. And secondly, anchor your faith in Jesus. Anchor your faith in him. Let me pray.